I am split, I am split, I admit this, I am split 50-50 down the line, yeah, I admit this, I am fine with being split I ain't shit, half the time I'm on some conscious shit The other half I wanna split your shit I admit this, I am split, I am split It's two sides divided me, it's gotta be duality It's two sides divided me, it's gotta be duality It's two sides divided me, it's gotta be duality Four-fifth all up in my grip, I spit no shit You talking big like you grew up where we live I seen kids murder kids over Jordans, this is sick This is important, who's important? All these drugs, we can't afford them Same old story that we told them, they never listen Trigger finger itching, sun is glistening Off the blood puddle of another victim Bullet ricocheting, hit him in his mama kitchen I don't wanna hear you bitching about this fucking system Shit is twisted and we trying to get this straightened out Abort that mission Every time. I I don't know why I always start podcasts with that. Like, we're back. We're back. We're back. We are back. I just... That's like... It's really, it's really enthusiastic about the fact that you set your microphone up again. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like... It's legitimately the way that I always start, like, every podcast. And I think the past... I don't know. Last last week, for sure. I don't know about the week before, but I knew, you know, maybe the week before that. I didn't do the episode names. I'm, like, very bad about, like, remembering to introduce the name of the... Yeah, we got to a point where, where we don't even say the episode names yeah. anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. So this week, we are to commemorate uh, one of the all-time greats of titans of California uh, culture and hip-hop legacy in general. We are the Thummer, the Summer Fizzlers. Um, to and we're going to start out talking about it. The match, the worst match of the year until you see. Yeah, Hell in a Cell, I guess, according to a lot of people. <laughs> this match had a very long run as the worst match of the year, right? Um, it was like, what, like a week, week and a half? Maybe a month yeah. at the most? Um, but, but, even, but even then, like, like, I have, like, admittedly, I haven't watched Osprey versus Star yet, but between you and, between you and Brock, everyone, you, you two are like, it wasn't that bad. It really like, wasn't. <laughs> both of you were like a... Yeah, like, like, it sounds like the wrestling was fine. It just, like, it seems like it was overbooked and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. The match was good until, like, midway through. Shea Purser... Honestly, I will say, watch the match, and then as soon as Shea Purser comes out, just stop watching. And, like, that's where it goes bad. Like, it's... There's a really huge delineation between the beginning setup match, and then when Shea Purser comes out, that starts all of the booking, the overbooking, and the horse shit. And, like... I, I I don't know. I thought you had watched this. I'm sorry, Quentin. I thought you had watched the match. Um, no, I, I, no. I've I've been I've been avoiding it. <laughs> I can't blame you. I really can't. We we did talk about Hell in a Cell last week, so I can get why you don't want to get into it. But there was some sick shit in this match. Honestly, there was some like the flying forearm from Osprey was dope. The the Stan Hansen, the hand Stanson from uh from David Starr to counter the Cheeky Nando's kick was fucking sick looking. Like. There's some good stuff in here. But there's also, like, comparatively, there's one thing that I noticed, like, we'll talk about it later, but we talk about Uncharted Territory a little bit, but David Starr versus um, Mercedes Martinez, it's like, oh, yeah, this is why David Starr is good. You know, and I remember that a few years. It was, like, maybe a year, year and a half ago where we were all kind of, like, turning David Starr heel is really dumb. He's literally one of the best baby faces in the world. Why would you turn him heel? Then he turns heel everywhere, and we've all been enjoying it. But... Getting to see him be a pretty pure underdog babyface seller against Mercedes Mar- Martinez in, in um, on Uncharted, made me go like, oh yeah, <laughs> like this is what he's fucking amazing at. So then this match, because I watched this after that, like this match, it's like, it's 
fine. It's good, but it does make me go like, oh, if David Starr was working at Babyface, this would be fucking phenomenal because he's just such a better Babyface. And it's like, it's funny to remember that time period where we all really didn't think, why would you turn David Starr heel? And then since then, his you know his Twitter, his social media game has become insufferable. He's been a pretty solid heel. He, he got better at it, but like you know, like to be fair, to be fair to people like us that said that, it's like at the beginning of it, it looked really shaky. Yeah. Like to be to be fair, to be fair to us, like it like it eventually worked out for the most part, but it looked very very uncertain in the beginning. Yeah, in the beginning, it seemed really dumb on paper. It's just like this is one of the best baby faces. This is literally like a once in a generation level baby face that you have. Why even waste the time turning him heel? And then it was like, oh, it's worked out. And like I said, part of it is like his real life personality, you know, sleeking, kind of seeping through into his character that makes it like make sense. But, but then when you get that pure baby face, David Starr, so you know you haven't, you didn't watch the Rev Pro match, so I won't even continue talking about it. But you did watch the Mercedes Martinez Uncharted match, right? Oh yeah, I was, I, I watched, uh, I watched an, the mo- most of Uncharted a couple of days ago. Right. And then I wanted to come in fresh watching Star vs. Martinez when we recorded. So I just watched it as we're setting up right, right. now. And, I mean, it didn't. It doesn't 100% make sense because Mar- you know, Mercedes doesn't really work heel. But but Star definitely works babyface. Right? Am I right in saying that? In the match? Yeah, in the or match. Or just like in general? Yeah, in the match. In the Mercedes versus Star match. Like, she doesn't... It's a very... It's a, it's a very weird match. Yeah. Like... That like I like it's look, like first things first. It's fantastic. It's yeah. a really awesome match. But it should be in your conversation for match of the year. Probably top fifteen, top twenty at the best. Maybe 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 not maybe not that high for me. Okay. But at best, I can see yeah. it that high for me. It's probably like you know top 30, 40, 50, something right. like in, like in, in, in around there. It's definitely making my top one hundred. Yeah. But what stood out for me is just it's a really weird structure. They go so hard in like the first ten to fifteen minutes that. I watched this days after the fact. I didn't watch Uncharted live. So, as I see the reviews pouring in and all that, it's like, oh, this match went nearly 30 minutes. And somehow in the course of me watching the match, I forgot that it went that long. So, as they're getting near the 13, 14 minute mark, it's like, oh, shit. Like, this feels like they're about to start wrapping up soon. And then it takes a turn and all all that. And they manage to get another... 15 minutes out of it but it's a really weirdly structured match but it completely works it's really novel. and then the fact of like a, a good point about yeah. what you're saying is it's novel because it's very unique the way that it's structured yeah and then going back to your point about mercedes wasn't really working heel yeah she wasn't but she was definitely in control for for a good for a good portion of it until star gets his openings here and there and i guess this could take us to take us to the conversation that i wanted to have tonight about beyond is that see you mentioned mercedes being in control and all that and then we listen to the commentary done by paul crock and the sydney bacabella and i'm sorry like i've tried to be like uh courteous with these guys and not get not get uh i guess like too uh on a too rude or blunt about these things so i want to see them get better and all that but I gotta be. I, I think they're really bad. It's a really bad team, and I think it shines through when they're going on about like Star is this and Star is such a bad guy and Star is this and Star is that. When if you have any you know memory or context of the com- com- company that you're doing commentary for, at the end of Star versus Janela from American Rana, everything was cool. It was like a big reset button, and 
they do the and they do this thing and Star closes out the show with a promo, puts over Joey and all this stuff and effectively resets David Star and he's back to being like a default babyface. He's not a bad guy anymore. But the commentary keeps going on and on and on about this and that. And it's like I don't know why you just shouldn't be that tone deaf in your own commentary. If you see that he's doing stuff like, you know, giving Mercedes the time to get herself together and not attacking her while she's down and all that. But you're still going with the fact that Star is evil and he's a piece of shit and he's a bad guy. He's an arrogant jerk and all these things, which in canon might still be true. That's not the David Star character anymore and beyond. And you and you need to adjust to that accordingly. And I thought that was really annoying in this match. Yeah, the commentary here was insanely terrible. And I, my kind of opinion on Sidney Machiavelli specifically is that he's been he's good at times. And I do actually kind of enjoy him on commentary sometimes. Like, I've, I've become familiar with him to where I enjoy, you know, some of the stuff he does. But in this match specifically, he was insanely bad. And when you talk about it, it's like the stuff with Star and Janela was was even presented in a way that was very, you know, understandable. Which was that Star Star never really turned heel, but he was going against someone who was just so beloved. That, like, it didn't matter what you... It, doesn't matter who goes up against Joey Janela, especially in Beyond. Like, they're they're gonna be the heel just because of Joey Janela is the every man. He is the guy that everyone loves. Like he is, you know, the 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 guy. Like he really is probably the biggest babyface that indie wrestling had for a long time there, and especially in Beyond, he was like particularly over. But there was never anything about it that was like specifically very heel of, of David Starr. Like the Janela versus MJF feud that was primarily in CZW but also like spread out into beyond somewhat like was clearly you know MJF was a piece of shit you know and he was a heel but but you know you know of course Janela is the babyface there but there was never you know like any question but with Star it was not the same there was not the same dynamic at all like it was very clear with Star with Star it was a little it was a little bit more nuanced and layered like it wasn't exactly like Star is this arrogant piece of shit asshole. It like Janela played that role sometimes too, and yeah. that's why it's sort of like it's sort of like revisionist history to sit there and paint David Star this way. Where yes, like he was an active heel in Beyond for the most part of the last couple of years, but it feels like you're revising it to fit whatever narrative that you want to roll with on commentary that Star was this bad person when him and Janela were going tick for tat with each other. Right? Yeah. No. I mean. It was not supposed to be that way. And then to continue to present it that way, especially here when you have... I mean, I'm going to give a huge credit to David Starr, honestly. Like, he understood his role here and he worked it super well. This match was, you know, put together by the internet. You know, I think there was like a Twitter... There was a tweet about this match and then David Starr got excited about it and literally, like, basically it felt like told Beyond to book the match. You know? So, there's like a lot of deeper stuff going on here and the way that the story works star understood that perfectly because the, i don't think that you could present something like this with star being the heel at all because people know that backstory at least some people know that backstory where they're like this match is only happening because david star wants to present two of the best wrestlers on the planet going against each other and it's not going to happen anywhere you know this match is not going to get booked at like any random promotion i don't think shimmer or shine are going to book david star versus mercedes martinez unfortunately and and that's primarily where she works i don't think wwe is going to book 
you know, on NXT, they're not going to book uh, David Starr. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to think what would be like the like the other like best case scenario for like for this match happening. A comp- yeah, yeah, like, maybe I mean, Eve? Like, and I can't think and I can't think of it. Eve, I could think maybe, maybe Eve would do it. Yeah, maybe Eve. But that would be that would also be a big time push because they don't really book men either. So like Chikara, Chikara like, maybe, but I doubt it because it, it, even the vibe of both of them doesn't really fit Chikara. Yeah, they're not like and, and, yeah, they're not they don't really fit Chikara, and it's not like a regulars thing. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. So this match, it's like, where the fuck is this match gonna happen? And then Dave, you know that David Starr kind of helped push it to happen on social media here, so he can't really be pure heel in this match. You just aren't gonna buy into it because there's a level of respect. That you already, if you know the background, you're already coming to this match knowing that David Starr has this level of respect for her. So what he did was he took that and he turned it into, like, being one of the best underdog babyface sellers on the planet. Like, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and, and he, like, presents that huge here and gives Mercedes so much. But, like... Think about Mercedes is the idea of saying that you give Mercedes anything sounds ridiculous. If you've followed mercedes martinez throughout the history of her career at this point like you don't give her anything she takes what she wants and that's like kind of her vibe and so he was really smart to lean into that and make this match come across like he did like i said like it's in the conversation of best match of the year it's not going to be like you know on my top 10 list that's for sure so i said you know top 20 best top 15 top 20 best like you 20 you know 20 to 30 probably makes sense for you like or not 20 to 30 20 to 50 i think you said and that conversation i mean yeah. yeah of course that makes sense but like it's a really smart performance it's it has a lot going on the the execution is not i won't say bad their the execution is flawless but it's basic you don't get in a, yeah go ahead in a weird way and i don't want this to sound like i'm like dismissing mercedes at all because like obviously she's like a legendary figure in, in, in independent wrestling and she's a very um important important figure in this but again this is her de- this is her debut and beyond and all and all this stuff and she was going to impress regardless she's a great wrestler she was going to impress the crowd regardless but in a way it's like star going out of his way to make mercedes martinez if that makes sense you see star like not putting not making himself the focus and me and you have watched pretty much everything david star has done this year david star at his core is a guy that's very showy, very show-offy, is the center of attention in a lot of his matches, can do things that gather get, get your attention and get your eye and all that stuff. And that's what David Starr has been for a pretty good pretty good time in his career, is that he's a guy that is sort of attention first. You know, gets that from like guys like Shawn Michaels, Gargano, and all that stuff. And here, it was interesting to see Starr take the back seat, and he's like, Man, I'm gonna make sure that this crowd really understands how great Mercedes Martinez is. Yeah, and that's again, that's a big part of where Star is at this point in his career. I super respect it. He feels like a guy who every you know couple days there's a new rumor about where he's going. Right? It doesn't feel like you get through like a 48 hour period before people start bringing up like what's David Star's future in wrestling. Um, but he feels like the elder statesman of the indie scene right now. And he feels like, he feels like a guy who respects that title. You know, historically there's been a lot of people who get that role and they just, they just have it, but it's not something that they care about, you know, but you, every now and then you get guys who have that respect, have that kind of continuity, have that level in the situation that they're in. And they actually 
treat it with the respect that it deserves like you know i mean the the closest person i can think of who comes like in the same conversation like chris hero when chris hero was the top guy of the indies you everything he did you could feel the gravitas of him understanding what he was you know and that was not that long ago, but it was a while ago. And since then, there's been a vacuum. It, fe- it, fe- it feels like it feels like it's been a really long time. Yeah, ago. it feels like there's a vacuum that's we've been suffering from not having that person. And David Starr is that guy, and it does make you go like, the way that he talks, the way that he acts, the things that he says. You know, does he just sign to wherever, or does he continue to like kind of deliver this? And when you see him doing things like this match, taking someone who, you know, is honestly a veteran compared to him, someone who's been wrestling for probably close to 10 years longer than he has um who he's taking the time to do exactly what you said make them like use my star power don't get like caught up in my own concept of who i am but like understand that like people who people know things or see people or people have everyone has a different frame of reference and that's not what matters what matters is your quality and and also your seniority which is something to bring up when i talk about david Starr. that makes sense because david Starr is a, a you know a union guy or at least he tries to be a union guy um i was about to say cultural marxism but i won't say that just because of you know he <laughs> is david Starr. so i don't want anyone to take that the wrong way but he's a guy who understands that like it doesn't matter if people know who mercedes martinez is she has seniority on him and she deserves respect and he gives it to her to help take what he has to make her greater. And that is the kind of stuff that you watch and you go like, you know, maybe David Starr won't just go to WWE. Like, maybe he won't just go to AEW. Maybe he will continue to do what he's doing, even if, you know, he's he's somewhat backtracked on, like, We the Indie and what it really means and all that stuff. It's independent contractor, everything that comes with that. But it, it is also like, yeah, like, Maybe he does actually care this much about wrestling. Oh my god, I look at it and, and like I look at it and I was I said ten years. I said Mercedes has been wrestling for ten years longer than David Starr, and then I look it up and Cage Match has Mercedes wrestling eleven years longer than David Starr. So, so right. yeah. So I mean, fuck. You know, she is definitely someone who deserves that respect. Uh, going back to what you said about maybe star isn't just going to wwe or aew or whatever and everyone else is getting snatched up and he's just gonna follow suit after he after he beats mercedes and they allude to the fact that maybe they have a rematch and all that and i think david star would definitely want to do something like that i think mercedes wants to do that so i wouldn't be surprised if we see a rematch in the future and beyond but star alludes to the fact that he's interested in the iwtv iwtv title and he wants to go after Warhorse, and I think I think we were talk- we were talking about Warhorse last week, and we were saying that in the grand scheme of things, with guys like Daniel Makabe and AC Mack and Warhorse being like the faces of the new IWTV, that they have a really bright bright future doing this thing. Now, possibly add in David Starr throwing his name in the hat. Now, David Starr is a little risky. He's a really big name at this point and he can sign anywhere he wants if david star is putting his name in the ring and saying that he wants to be a part of this thing and he wants to really take independent wrestling to the next level he wants to put his money where where his mouth is and he wants to be the iwtv champion how quickly do you pull that trigger and do you think it's the right move i mean if i'm 
involved with <laughs> IWTV. Yeah, in, in yeah, in this hypothetical world where you're the where you're involved in IWTV. Yeah, if I'm involved in IWTV in like a real sense, and I'm 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 you know booking and making these decisions, I honestly I think I, as much as I love the Warhorse thing, and I really think the Warhorse reign deserves a chance to you know continue going. Um, I think I probably pull the trigger relatively quickly on putting the title on David Starr, and I and I make it work as long as I can. I mean, it feels like the same thing that they did with Orange Cassidy, which was was a very anomalous situation because it was just like I don't think anyone really expected Orange Cassidy to uh, to get signed, you know, not at all, but like as quickly as he did. Right. Um, so I can understand why you thought that going with him and maybe that would shy them away from doing something similar again because they're just kind of like thinking well we tried this and we pulled the trigger on someone that was hot and it backfired on us kind of but it, I mean it didn't feel like there was a big issue there on the, for the most part and I think that you can continue to show that like as long as you make these relationships work that you're not going to get you're not going to have like you know it blow up in your face so you can get away with it and i think that yeah like as much as again i i i really love what they're doing with warhorse i really love warhorse in general and i think that him having a nice long solid run would make a lot of sense i if i'm in charge of booking and david Starr, the guy who i mean this is sounds crazy but he made wxw like wxw gets fucking bought up by wwe because of david Starr. because david Starr's shotgun title run i in a lot of ways was was what made people pay attention to WXW. Like, you know, nerds like us were watching it and talking about everything that was going on, but that David Starr, like, shotgun championship run, defending the title all over the all over the world, all over the country, was what made most people start paying attention to, to WXW to the point where then Walter versus Ilya became this, like, historic legendary match. Um, and so then, you know, it becomes this mix. And then, then Dave, and Davis, and, and even like the Davis R versus Walter feud, right. like. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I do the same thing. I like jump on it because this guy has a proven track record as a touring champion. I don't think there's anybody else in wrestling right now who has a better track record as a touring champion than David Starr that, that IWTV could imagine putting their title on. Right. And, uh, that, and, and yeah. you know what? And, I, and you know what? Like, like going back to what you said about Star feeling like the elder statesman of the U.S. independence scene right now. Imagine putting that on him, and he goes, and he goes all across these IWTV family promotions, and he's taking that belt all over the place. And David Star is a guy that's very much willing to do all that kind of stuff. He's done that for his entire career, but taking that up the East Coast, West Coast bookings, going to the Midwest, going going down going down south if need be. He's a guy that's willing to go everywhere. And imagine having someone like David Starr that's able to go around the country and all that and make these lesser known, unestablished guys. You know what I mean? Like we had, like we could see BLP and them putting in guys in the turbo grabs that might have might not have been like household names or whatever, but imagine someone like a Cole, Cole Radrick or a Sean Kemp able to get like the, able to get a David Starr IWTV title match rub. Or someone like a Someone like Allen Angels, Cam Carter, and all these on all these other guys. Yeah. Like I'm just I'm just throwing names out there at this point, but it's like guys that could really use a David Star esque name to really take really take things to that next level. And again, like I don't know if it was just a promo because they're gonna eventually set set that match up. 
But I do think that if Star is around for the long haul in independent wrestling, in true independent wrestling, that if he's there and he has interest, then I think Star has to be the move. And I don't want to cut Warhorse at his knees. Like, he's in an amazing job rebranding himself and creating an image for himself and all that. And he 100% deserves to be the IWTV champion right now. But I think eventually, if you're just doing it in a business sense, that David Starr offers you things that Warhorse doesn't. Right. And it, and the, the toughest part about it is that, and, and this is probably putting the cart before the horse in a lot of ways, because Warhorse has proven at this point to be able to make, you know, he can make, you know, he can shine shit into gold, basically. He's that kind of guy. Like, he can come in any situation. He was a fucking, you know mini viking (laughs) like that was his gimmick but he was able to like turn that into something so he is definitely a guy who can make the most out of whatever situation he's in but on paper the toughest part about it that's you know makes it really hard about like i said pulling the trigger on putting the star on uh, uh, putting the title on star is that warhorse doesn't really feel like he has any connection to david star so it would be tough because as soon as he drops the title to David Starr, it doesn't feel like you continue to have Warhorse be in the conversation as a challenger, even for the champion at David Starr. They're just like in different worlds. But again, like that one match, Warhorse could make something out of one match with David Starr that would be intriguing enough to where you continue because he's historically been able to do that. Like, you know, I think people talked about Warhorse as the guy in the feud with Gary J. Um, but since then it's like every match that he has i think people continue to talk about like you know warhorse in that match warhorse with that person he's again this is the thing that i've I've mentioned it multiple times and we'll get into it even some more later tonight when we talk about the main event from king of pro wrestling is that the people who have that natural charisma with every opponent where any match with any random person can feel like it has a certain kind of like Psychology is not the word I'm thinking of. It's another what what, gra- what gravitas? Yeah, gravitas basically, like you know that the, the kind of chemistry with each other that only comes in certain situations. And Warhorse has proven to be able to like show off the ability to do the same thing. I'm not putting him on that same level, but I mean every match that Warhorse has with anyone, there is a certain level of like specific charisma with every opponent. So him and David Starr could probably have a lot of fun with each other. But then again, you talk about David Starr as the champion and. Here's the thing, like, IWTV, I feel like, is trying to spread out more and trying to have promotions all over the country, all over the world, hopefully. And David Starr, I mean, comparatively, is there really anybody else on the indies that you can think of who has a better shot of of being able to work matches all over the country, all over the world than David Starr right now? So if you have your title on David Starr and he's getting bookings anywhere, um, I think that that also helps to, like, kind of get your brand out there. David Starr feels like a guy who could probably work in Japan and 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 IWTV has like a limited, you know, kind of relationship with Japanese promotions, but they have had some shows on the service that are from Japanese promotions and they could kind of continue to spread that name out there. So, I think David Starr is a guy who could fit in there, he could fit in in Europe that's already been proven. Um, any any promotion in in America like obviously gets into David Starr, so he's a guy that would be like a really smart choice to carry your banner for you right now. So, 
I think we both watched Uncharted this week, and I think it's safe to say that it wasn't a very eventful show other than... The main event. Mercedes versus Davis, than the main event. And I liked AJ yes. Gray versus Tony Deppin. Yeah, I was going to say AJ Gray and Tony Deppin. AJ Gray and Tony Deppin felt important, too. So, yeah. to say that the only the main event felt important, I wouldn't say 100%, but AJ Gray and Tony Deppin, the only thing that I think could have made it better is I... And this is probably a little bit of not being a homer, but being a little bit of a stand for AJ. Is that I would have I would have had AJ win honestly to really make him here, but this felt like a huge coming out party for a guy who we both have talked about endlessly at this point. Um, I've I think actually I should list it, add it to the list of possible names. Is I've been wanting to call us the AJ Gray Wolves um, as an episode name because we're both big time fans of AJ Gray, right? Um, and mm. so this felt like a match that was like a big breakout for him on a slightly larger stage than normally what he does. But like also he just beat the fuck out of him. And, and the AJ Gray Lariat is so good. Like it's, 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 it's almost insane, insanely good. Yeah. And it's like, it's just weird with AJ. Cause he's like, he's gotten better, but like he's been like a highly skilled guy yeah. for a few years now. And you know, absurdly athletic, absurdly strong can, do slugfest and all that. It's like I don't know why AJ wasn't getting wasn't getting booked super prominently, and he's and it's changing now. You know, uh, Midwest champion in BLP. I think he's the I think he's the world champ in Par- in Paradigm Pro and, and all Glory that. Pro. Glory Pro, yeah. Gl- yeah, Glory Pro champion now. So, it, like that's starting to change. But AJ is a guy that should have already been getting all that kinds of stuff, and Tony is another guy that has been getting you know bola pwg appearances gcw regular all that stuff so it was just it was a really feel-good match to see like guys that like guys that me and you have known have been busting their asses for a really long time and are able to go up there and showcase it like that but i think i kind of want to get into a larger conversation about beyond and I think you're a good person to have this conversation with because me and you have both followed beyond for a really long time and, and hey, you know what? Before we even get into it, Beyond is a topical thing to talk about right now because I've heard people mentioning the the, the ambition super fight um, between Oni Lorcan and, and Timothy Thatcher, and that was a match that that was a matchup, and that was really two guys that were put on like the kind of public consciousness by Beyond with their matchup against each other and Beyond from years ago. So it's like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the secret show. Yeah, match. so it's like Beyond is it's been. God, it'd probably been like a decade, which is crazy to think about. But it Beyond has been a star making, a star performance place for a long time. Or even if even if it wasn't making stars, it was ahead of the curve in a lot of guys. Yes. And what I was getting to here is that in this era of Uncharted that that we've been in this year, I'm really excited and happy for the company and the fact that they have been able to make this thing work. This weekly show. It's super ambitious. It's live, all that stuff, and I'm glad that it's been able to work. But as two people that have been following and watching Beyond for a really long time, I gotta say, and I'm gonna throw it out there, out there to you, I kind of miss the old Beyond era, and not in like an old was better when it was like this kind of way, but I don't know. It feels like Beyond is a little too polished now, and I think a lot of the charm for Beyond in years past was the rugged spontaneous nature of a lot of things the single cam show the single cam uploads that we would get yeah. and eventually you get the full show turnarounds and everything 
DC in the booth and you get a rotating cast of wrestlers or just or just wrestlers in general taking over the booth and everything. And what Beyond has done is remarkable. Being able to sort of like completely rebrand and take a more professional approach and everything and really market itself as this viable weekly TV show option in this changing landscape of wrestling where AEW, NXT, the main roster shows, NWA and all that. And you can realistically throw beyond in that mix because they've done such a good job with the live TV. But as someone that's been following beyond for a long time, do you also miss the older era of the beyond? Yeah. I mean, the mix is interesting because early beyond, you know, look, ma, no fans, um, kind of early, early beyond, um, had a specific charm, the secret shows, the, the, you know, warehouse shows, the stuff that I talked about with Biff having matches with like Thatcher matches with AR Fox, the stuff like Shinron versus, he wasn't even Shinron back then. I, God damn, I can't remember his old name. Either way, like Shinron versus oh, Shane Strickland. And, and, before, and before you go, and before you go on, I, before I, sorry to cut you off, but I think that like what the reason why I'm bringing it up is because Star versus Mercedes was sort of like a throwback yes. beyond match. Yeah. It was a super throwback to like that Eddie Edwards Biff era of super methodical and everything had everything has some meaning to it and all of that and I loved it, but it just made me think of how much Beyond has changed. Well, it, yeah, it's like wrestling for wrestlers, wrestling for the initiated, wrestling for the hardcores, wrestling for wrestling's sake in a lot of ways. And that's what the early Beyond was. The Again, like the no fans kind of early Beyond thing was like the most just like this is wrestling for the sake of wrestling. This is wrestling... It, it stems out of Drew's background. This is no fucking new thing to talk about on this podcast or this podcast network, but Drew was the guy putting together the backyard wrestling shows. I mean, there's nothing more wrestling for fun than backyard wrestling. You know what I mean? And that's what Beyond came from. Beyond grew from we're wrestling for each other. We're wrestling because we enjoy it. We're wrestling to put on a show for our friends. And that was what Beyond was early on. And... And if no, and if no one's gonna book us, then we'll book ourselves exactly. and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So as as they grow out of that, early on they did the secret shows, and they would do the main show and the secret show, and it, and really early on it was like you went on to the the Beyond website, which I, I you know mentioned, you know, no fans, kind of early website for Beyond, um, and you would buy the shows on PayPal through the website and you would get the you know the 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 full show or the the full show plus the secret show and all this stuff and one of the early things that i remember pissing me off was when you you know still buy the vod but you didn't get the uh biff versus eddie edwards match it was like not on the main show even if you paid for the you know everything vod with the secret show everything you still didn't get that match and i remember that pissing me off but it was like that ill will didn't last for long you know, because it was just like, whatever, Beyond is Beyond, and that's fine. And then eventually I saw the match. And they went from doing that to doing the, the streaming service. They were like the first, you know, streaming service. Yeah, be, YouTube. yeah Beyond yeah, Demand. on YouTube. You could watch everything on there. Um, and, like, the way that the promotion has grown. And then from all of that, and from, like, coming from, like, the most bare bones to then again, like, you talk about weekly TV. Weekly TV feels like like establishment wrestling at least for me I'm, I'm a little bit older than you and i'm a little bit younger than you know most of the people who watch wwe but 
thinking about establishment wrestling from when I was a kid and from years before that, weekly TV was the thing. And it's not even weekly TV. Like early, early, you know, top level wrestling, it was weekly shows. It was weekly live shows that you went to, you know, that were in your city. And then eventually that turned into, you know, that those weekly live shows were recorded and put on television in the area, syndicated and all that kind of stuff. But historically, weekly wrestling like this is major league promotion business. And Beyond has gone from basically being the... Sm Beyond has gone from fucking backyard wrestling to the most established wrestling possible. I mean, in the hierarchy of wrestling, I don't... Again, that's what I'm saying. Like, where I come from, weekly television is the most established kind of wrestling. Weekly shows, weekly you know, episodic nature wrestling is the, the highest level of wrestling. So they've gone from doing backyard, we only do it for us and for the fans, to the most established possible wrestling kind of medium in, in weekly television, weekly shows. And, like, it's been pretty seamless. But, as you said, it's it's the same feeling that I got at a certain point with NXT, where it's like, the you know, the, you put the frog in the, in the water and you just, you know, slowly let it boil. Like, over time, it's like, yeah, if I stop and think about it, like, this is not the same Beyond that I originally fell in love with at all. But they do a much better job than NXT does, which will be another topic we'll get to, I think, maybe a little bit. We'll touch on later um, in NXT. In that, like, that was just, like, they got to a point where it's just, like, I can't fucking stand it. But Beyond is, like, slowly got into it. And then, as you mentioned it, I look back on it. And, yeah, I, like, I do miss those days of Beyond. But I, I'm not upset. And I still enjoy Beyond. And I still see the connections. Because there's still some stuff on Beyond that is, like... 100% beyond it's kind of like that you know I don't know if you remember this from the you know early 2000s but like TNA is always going to be TNA no matter what they fucking do <laughs> they're always going to be TNA and they're yeah. going to figure out a way to be TNA no matter what and beyond like they're as good as they get there's still some stuff where you're just like it's fucking beyond and Camp Cam Cam Carter Camp Carter whatever or you know Cam Zingani um, kind of thing is uh, I mean the it's it's uh the crusade for change like it is this weird heel unit on the under mid card that really nobody can stand but for some reason it keeps being on every show and that's like beyond like beyond loves having these annoying bad heel mid card acts that like they could definitely just not have but they keep them around because i think it really does give a certain kind of like character to the promotion that like makes them stand out because no other promotion is is booking Cam Zingani's heel promotion like just because they're that bad like no one wants to see it so no one else is gonna book them but it makes it stand out because you you know that these are the guys that Beyond keeps booking like it randomly it just it kind of works in that regard like to have this weird undercard heel faction that nobody likes um in in both ways like they don't like them in the sense that they're good heels but they also don't like them because they just don't enjoy seeing them and it like it it fits that role so like again that's why i think that beyond still works is because even as beyond has grown and become such a big thing it still has that charm of being beyond it's still got like a little bit of the same annoying bullshit from when we first fell in love with beyond yeah so i'm not mad at it i'm not mad at it I'm not, it's not a nostalgia thing. It's not, wow, Beyond was so much better when they were when they were like this and rough around the edges. But 
it's a, it's a very admirable transformation. And, you know, in that, you know, I, I miss having Drew on commentary. We talked about it before, but Drew on commentary definitely really got the point across better than a lot of other Beyond commentators. And if I had one complaint, is that Drew wasn't on commentary anymore. But other than that, I might not love every Uncharted show, but they've made this thing work way better than I would have expected them to, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so far, so far, I've really enjoyed most of the Uncharted shows, but, like, it's still a show that books Josh Briggs regularly. You know, like, it's still beyond. It's still, like, the main ace, and not even, not even just ace, but the main, like, work rate ace of the company is is Chris Dickinson. You know, like, there's definitely, it's not going to be a perfect show no matter what. Yes, yes, it's still beyond. Yeah, but it's like, (laughs) Stuff like not having Drew on commentary does make a big difference, like for sure, and and definitely does miss like the charm of what made Beyond what it was. Um, we're getting some news, some news notes, and uh, yeah, and, and topics that are coming from uh, Corwu, the underscore Corwu on Twitter, the uh, segment producer or whatever, the uh, content provider for the show. I mean, the biggest story of the week. Well, actually, okay. I'll get into the biggest story as the final thing. The notes are basically people leaving, trying to leave contracts. <laughs> Maria Manic, this is just fun, but she leaves ROH without having worked a single match there, <laughs> which is cool. That's super, super str- cool. It's really strange because she's also like better than every woman on the roster that they she, have. She was literally the best female worker that they had signed in ring on top of being the best personality that they had signed um, as a female wrestler. Gr- granted, like, a lot of things about Maria Manic yeah, are, like, for sure. bad. And if, like, people, like, actually knew these things, they wouldn't like Maria Manic. But, like, yeah, she, she was still probably the best wrestler they had on yeah. the roster in the female division. And they just, like, didn't use her not at even all. once she didn't work a single match what the fuck roh um that's so much fun mike bennett asking to leave wwe i i at this point how could you care like really he did he tried he tried it he tried, <laughs> he tried it last year was, yeah was it last year or this it was, year I, like, it feels like it's the same year but i think it was last year because i think he signed a contract like yeah it's like i don't i don't know man what, what and I, and, I, and, I read, and I read his explanation too, but I think he said, uh, you know, he's just tired of it and he wants to, he doesn't want to waste his years and all that. And he's still young. He overcame his addiction and everything. Like he feels like he's ready to go out and do things now. And maybe he just isn't going to do that, which like totally, yeah. I get it. But yeah, it's like, I, don't, I mean, like we see that WWE strategy is, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't leave because we'll give you, uh, we'll give you the tag yeah. titles. Or uh, Bailey, we'll make you a heel and you can get a new haircut and do whatever the fuck you want. Or Leo Rush, you can come back and be the cruiserweight champion. Like that's like that's the that, that's what they do here, and I'm not sure if they view, see that kind of value in Mike Bennett. I think they might just let him walk. But yeah, like it's really it's we're in an era where WWE is like so scared shitless. <laughs> like nah, like we're not we're not letting you guys I'll, go. I mean, no way. I'll give him credit if he does if he pulls the same move two years in a row and gets bigger contracts out of it. Like if he can somehow make more money off of pulling the same move, and I just I hope he keeps doing it 
forever, basically, and just continues to make more he, money. He would for he would for sure come like he would for sure sign to AEW and get a pretty good deal. Right, but they wouldn't be able to do jack shit with him. Like, do you think Mike Bennett could be anything? Like, really? I mean, I don't know, but I feel like they would at least push him. Like, yeah. these are guys that have, these are guys that have known Mike Bennett for forever. Right, like, it's true. not like Mike Bennett would just show up there and they wouldn't give him anything. Like, shit, Sean Spears is getting TV time. Like, you know who? And there's there's this is no this is a hundred percent diatribe and not connected to anything and shouldn't even be brought up in the conversation. But you know who would like be amazing if they showed up in in AEW would be Kevin Steen, like. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, but we, yeah, well, like we're definitely not getting, like, yeah, not anytime soon. I feel like we could, like, I'm like, like, I'm like we're like, not the ratings podcast, and it's not something that we particularly care about. But just knowing how things are going in the AEW and NXT thing, and you could say, well, AEW wasn't doing that great either, but well, they're still like, whooping NXT's ass every week by like, three hundred, three hundred plus thousand right. viewers. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's no way anyone that's like any sort of prominent in WWE, like Sami Zayn, fuck no, they're not yeah, letting him go. Absolutely not. Yeah, and even though it wouldn't, it really wouldn't make a huge difference. Like you know, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but they know, like, like they're looking at stuff like John, like John Moxley or John Moxley and Cody or whatever, and going over there and being like super over, packed too, been going over there and being super over. And imagine what would happen if a guy that was like really on that level of uh, really on that level of over on the indies showed up in AEW. Right. Because these are guys that like came up in that golden in that sort of second second wave golden era of the indies, Steen, Steen Generico, and all that Steen Generico, Ricochets, packs, like all that kind of stuff that really blew up in the second wave. And if you sit there and take one of those guys and put them in AEW with that fan base yeah. and Everyone knowing that history, like, come on now, like you, like you, like they're not doing that. Would it matter to WWE if they let them go? No, but they don't want AEW to sit there and succeed even more. Right? Yeah, it, that's. I mean, it's definitely a dangerous situation. And Mike Bennett, you could argue that Mike Bennett is a guy in that same conversation. I mean, when when he was in he, ROH, he was, he was in a stable. Yeah. He, was in a, he was in a stable with Adam yeah. Cole. Like, like that's what I'm saying. Like, I might not care. We might not care. But people know that he was in the kingdom with Adam right, Cole. And he is something. So like, in, yeah. yeah, he's he he's something. Whether or not like we want to see thirty minute Mike Bennett matches, like he's a guy that where if they played the cards right, there is some value in him. Right. Um, and then okay, so then the other like semi conversation, another leaving situation. It's all basically all the conversations are leaving, asking to leave, getting fired. Eric Bischoff leaving WWE basically having done nothing. Do you think any of it was real or do you think it was all a work? I think some I think some of it is real. I think I, I like because I just have the feeling that if they weren't involved at all, really they would have been on screen. Right. Like these are guys, like these are guys out of history being being on TV for wrestling shows and all that. If it was completely kayfabe, I think these guys would have been on TV. Right, and, and, and Eric Bischoff is especially because he's never had a creative role in WWE at this point. Yeah, so like you could have easily like if Eric Bischoff was just there, I feel like he would have been on TV. So I think there is truth to the fact that they were actually doing stuff, but Eric Bischoff also isn't good at no, he that never has either. Been. He <laughs> like, really never has been good. Yeah, like 
no, like that's really not what Eric Bischoff's thing is. So, I like I know it was like sort of a oh like shock value. Eric Bischoff is coming. To, Eric Bischoff is coming, and SmackDown's coming to Fox. Like this is a whole big thing, and it's like no, I, I don't think that was ever gonna be a long term thing or ever really work out. But Bruce Prichard being the one that they put in his place, I think is interesting even if it doesn't really matter in the long run yeah it's a random move but it makes sense bruce i you know as soon as they started saying that bruce was coming back i expected that it would be at some point he would be in the inner circle and he would be pretty much in charge of creative at some somewhere and so he ends up there and it makes sense he's he's one of the few people who really understands vince which is like few and far between i don't know because i've never met the guy and I can't say anything for sure, but based on kind of the vibe that you get from people who have met him, people who've interacted with Vince McMahon regularly, it's tough to read him completely. And then there's just certain very few people who get him. Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Bruce Pitchard are on that list of people who really get Vince in a way that they can, you know, basically interact with him for long periods of time without you know, it becoming a big issue. So it makes sense that he would end up back in a, in a position of power. So question for you, because we're obviously we're not the ratings, ratings guys. I'm not sure you're even aware or care about the fact about this, but do you put any stock in the fact that SmackDown's viewership has gone below 3 million and, you know, it's what second or third week being on Fox. Like, is this about what you, is this about what you expected? Like, I think both things can be true. There's like people that'll say like, well, who really cares? They're still beating out most of the stuff that's going on on TV. And as long as the network is having, is doing well for that specific network, then like they don't really care. But I also do think like, this is a like really, really lucrative deal in that. Like I would think Fox maybe wants a little bit better out of that. Like, do you, do you, do you care about, care at all about that? Yeah, I, I care about it. And I think I agree with you for the most part in that, I think that I think that this is not even the kind of bottom of the barrel. I think we end up with with SmackDown and Fox hitting the same level that that Raw is at right now, with like a couple of million. Oh, for sure! Like this, this is this is this is this isn't as bad as it's gonna yeah. get. It's going to get. It's gonna get worse. <laughs> and I'm not surprised. I just I don't think that WWE knows how to book Vince McMahon. Doesn't know how to book a show that people want to watch. And that's just going to continue to become more and more self-evident as as he continues to book shows into the you know twentieth century um, that people just don't care about. And they're not going to care about. So we'll see where we go from here. But like, yeah, I mean, these ratings, this rating situation is like nothing. And is is SmackDown not on FS1 or they were on this week or they're going to be on next week? One one or the other, but. They're already like getting preempted for, you know, more important sports games, and I can't blame, you know, Fox for making that choice. But that's like really the the conversation. Like you continue to the re- the re- the reality of it, the re- the reality of like the WWE and Fox thing is like Fox has like other properties that also make them money. Right. Like it's not a thing where it's like where like on USA like WWE was sort of like the big fish in a small pond like. Fox has other stuff going on. Right. Like, so they gave WWE all this money, but I think that's because they, they want to con- content to fill all these things. Like, Fox 
has stuff that does really well between like sports and TV shows or whatever. Like Fox does well, so like it's I I think it more I think now we're maybe gonna see a little bit more issue and all that stuff. Fox being a little hands on and all that. Like we've seen that in the last in the last year or so with Saudi Arabia outside forces being a little bit more hands on in WWE. And I think Fox might wind up being the same thing, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was just worth bringing up. Yeah, and and no, it's 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 true, and it, it it is interesting because you watch WWE go from being the top of entertainment to the bottom of sports as the nature of cable live you know television changes um, with the, the kind of sports entertainment duality of the of wwe with the way that it's presented so it does become like what is the ceiling and the and the floor and what is the relationship to the different situations because did a good job on usa for a long time being the number one entertainment show because people watch it to watch so usa is like usa that's a big thing on usa like that like that's like the big stuff there so when what you're competing with is fucking royal pains, right. like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna look really yeah. good. But when you're competing with, you know, NBA, MLB, um, NFL, even NHL kind of stuff, like they're not in the same conversation, especially not now. Like, entertainment has changed in a big way, where the things, the real things that people pay attention to are live sports and everything else takes a back seat. And WWE again, like because of the nature of of the way that they present sports entertainment, they have, they can ride those lines, but they're not at the top of sports. They're at the very bottom of sports, you know, like as a sports product being presented. And then you have AEW show up and, and compete with the concept of sports entertainment in a way that's, it's a lot more aligned with the sports kind of side of things. It does continue to erode that kind of natural base of what WWE is but the biggest okay so Quentin the biggest story of the week for us I think for like the the, the, the crowd that, that listens to this and for us in particular um, as people who do podcast stuff is stardom and the stuff that's going on with stardom between trying to get sold to WWE as a package deal with, uh, with Big Japan, Noah whatever and stardom to create WWE or NXT Japan um, and then in the end stardom selling to Bushi Road the parent company of New Japan um, which is interesting to think about because Bushi Road bought Noah originally right and then everything that happened there and then eventually Noah has been sold to a different entertainment media company um, after Bushi Road kind of just completely destroyed it by having it be actually Noah wasn't purchased by Bushi Road, was it? It was purchased by uh, New Japan as its own entity separately from Bushi Road. But either way, um, so this might mean something completely different. But this is a huge story because this is this encompasses not just the actual story, which is stardom sells to Bushi Road, but it, it, it connects to the bigger stories of WWE attempting to create a NXT Japan brand by linking through other promotions already established, um, the connections to New Japan, the connections to the conversations that people keep having about about uh, New Japan booking, you know, Joshi wrestlers, female wrestlers, 
Um, you've got stuff going on with Ice, Rizzo, Ice Ribbon with their champion. Um, or, no, not champion, but with a Gilly, Galena leaving Ice Ribbon while still under contract to Ice Ribbon to go to Stardom. Like, a lot of uh, interesting moving parts here. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of, to me, this is the biggest story of the week. Quentin, like, I don't know, what's your takeaway on it, Nathan? How do you... What do you think about especially stardom being sold to Bushi Road? Bushi Road. Bushi Road is fine. Bushy <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sliding into Dundalk Ralph here. Um, and actually, you live near Dundalk, right? Uh, anyways, um, how do you feel? I mean, yes, I'm, I mean, yes, in Baltimore. Yeah, how do you feel about the kind of stardom selling to Bushi Road and like what does that mean for that and and the bigger picture stuff? To me, it's like I think the big I think the bigger thing to look into there is the fact that WWE was really considering buying three of the most recognizable Japanese brands of the of the last decade and pushing that into what would be NXT Japan. Right. Uh, you know when we've talked about it before, it's been out there in the public that. They want to do stuff like NXT, NXT, Latin, NXT Latin America, NXT Japan. They've done it. They've they got NXT UK going already, and they pretty much want to get their hands into every single market. So you don't go anywhere else for your wrestling. You go to the WWE Network for everything that you want. You like jo- you like Joshi Wrestling. You're gonna go to WWE Network. If you like any sort of other other Puro, you're gonna go to WWE Network. Like the Euro stuff, go to WWE Network, and same thing for Mexico and other and other countries and other countries part of that. It's to me, I think that was more alarming, like how serious that sort of discussion was. And there's other like other like little outside information that has gotten thrown out there before that may have been leading to stardom being in this sort of this bidding war and getting sold, like. I'm not sure if this got confirmed or anything, but like a little bit, a little bit ago, some months ago, there was a rumor that Rossi Ogawa had suffered a stroke last year, and that might that might have something to, that might have something to do with the fact why Stardom is why Stardom is getting sold. There's the fact there's the fact that if you look at it, like Stardom Stardom attendance has has been trending downward, has been trending downward for the most part, and you know like. It's it's not I wouldn't call it a sinking ship, but it's like when you know Freedom was there and prominent, as in you know Kyrie Hojo and and uh, Io Shirai and Mayu's still there, but Mayu definitely has been has been phased down a lot in the last in the last couple of years. But Stardom just isn't the same promising property it was a couple of years ago. So I think stuff I think stuff like that is more what I'm more what I'm looking into there. I don't think this is going to help Stardom at all. I don't think this is going to help anything. Uh, you know, you could, you know, you know, the hope is Bushy Road being the big profitable company that it is, you know, subsidizes a little bit or whatever. But we just saw what happened with Noah, and, Noah and Bushy Road. It was, it was, it was Noah that was that was involved. In, I mean, it was Bushy Road that was that was involved in Noah. It wasn't like a New Japan thing. It's just because with them both being owned by the same company, it just you know, but they wound up being linked together, but. I, I, it's not going to help anything, and 
I know people immediately when they first heard it went back to the whole women in New Japan kind of thing. And from what I've read and understood, it's more like that when New Japan is doing United States shows that they'll book that they might that they might book women and something along those lines. But it seems like they're gonna be like completely separate entities and not gonna sit here and try to like get start get stardom opening opening matches on big new japan cards or anything like that like it's still going to be like completely separate just like how new japan and noah were when they were when they were under when they were under the same umbrella so i don't know like i don't have like super strong thoughts on it stardom has already been in the middle of some shady stuff you know people that were under contract to other places or regulars at other other places leaving and coming to stardom under sort of an under maybe nefarious means has been a thing that's happened for a year and some change now but i don't know the, the big the big takeaway to me here is how serious wwe is in making wwe like this non-stop shop for everything pro wrestling related and like trying to go get this no, no matter what cost right yeah and okay i i was very limited in what i set off mic as i was uh muted there but uh but yeah i mean there's a lot to it there's a lot more going on if you want to get kind of more into the joshi side of things um when it comes to this and that's important because you talked about it with ice ribbon having a shady past i would say check out well, because not from having a shady past, like just stardom, yes. <laughs> yeah, stardom having a, stardom having a shady past with other talent and all that. Like this, like this isn't a new thing right. when it comes to people jumping ship to right. stardom. And, and if you if you wanted to read more on that, um, our friend Alex, also known as no- Noah Savior, Noah Noah, but that's attached to it underscore Savior on Twitter. If you're looking for it, she had a blog post recently sort of breaking down the more of the Joshi side right. of things. Right, on I say, you say, he say, um, which is, you know, he say is it Japanese transliteration or whatever. Either way, it's a... it's a uh, Great, great blog yeah, name. <laughs> it's fantastic, honestly. And Alex is someone who, again, I was like kind of stopping myself from even saying it, but like people know, like I, I interviewed Alex on the old podcast that I used to do on the... Uh, place to be nation pop feed um someone who i've always been a big fan of in general for her i think yes her i i did this before big fan of of her and her opinions and what she kind of brings to the table especially with just how in-depth she gets into especially joshi stuff but in general really um an important voice to like, like Alex would Alex herself would tell you like she's not like some sort of like Joshi expert but like I don't think there's anyone on earth I'd rather list I'd rather like listen to or read break more than Alex yes. like she's really great and if you have the time you should check out her article on the yes. whole Stardom Bushy Road yeah. thing right yeah the, yeah that's the place to go because again like I was like I, I felt I feel weird because I'm like do it doesn't matter, but it's not. It's like it's again. It's the same thing with like Dan Makabe, which is be a good transition to uh, talking about the three to one battle show from last night. Um, but it's like the same thing with Dan Makabe. It's like I'm friends with this person because I'm a fan of them. It's not the other way around. Like I, I, I'm friends with Alex, and we've interacted, and I, I really admire her as a as a writer, and as someone who creates content. And that's like why I'm friendly with friends friendly with Alex because because of that. Otherwise, I just wouldn't be. I 
just wouldn't pay attention. I wouldn't even really know who they are. But but because of because of that, I am a fan. But again, like I said, con connecting to Dan Makabe, did you watch any of the matches from Three to One Battle Horror Business last no, night? No, I didn't even know they were having a show. And then I saw a GIF of uh, I think Bolajani had posted a gif of the Makabe versus Zayn match that happened last night. I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. I need to watch that. <laughs> yeah, you do. Last year, okay, I will say that last year their match um, for the 3 one battle of Solid Steel champion, Solid Steel, um, was was in my conversation for best Makabe matches of the year, and I almost would like easily say it was better than this match, but I don't know that I can completely say that because there was like some really interesting and cool psychology stuff that was done here when it comes to selling and like kind of the situation it was fast they didn't have a lot of time and i know that they knew that they didn't have a lot of time and they put a lot into it and there are there have been a lot of situations where i would say in general you're better off not if you don't have a lot of time don't try to fit everything that you would do in a bigger match in a smaller match and just like do what you can well in a short situation. Um, this really rode that line super well, where I could definitely... I think that's probably part of why I liked the other match more, is just because the other match didn't feel... It didn't have this idea in my head that, like, they were forcing more into it than they had time for. Um, that said, like, I could also really appreciate this match for the fast pace for this the like really f the focus on the stories that were being told and that and i say stories there because it's one of the few matches where you can really see multiple stories being told at the same time which is really impressive um so that's why i say even if i think like i like the other one more i can't say it 100 percent because this match was quicker and it had a lot of really really cool stuff in a, a shorter time frame so it's like how do you not kind of give that a lot of credit for being able to do so much in such a quick time compared to something where you had more time and you told a more basic story, but you really got a chance to flesh it completely through. Either way, great match. Check it out. They opened up the show, uh, 3-2 Metal show, with an impromptu match with Jeff Cobb, which I thought was really cool, with Steve West basically showing up in Halloween costume um, as Jeff Cobb, and the crowd obviously gets into it, and then Cobb comes out. Um, they crown a new Seattle Underground champion uh, with the, the finals of the tournament there, um, which is, you know, done really, done really well. Um, the the match with with Zane and and Makabe, obviously fantastic um, main event with Pitfall Jones versus uh, Desi Darte. Um, I don't want to you know give you any kind of spoiler on it so i just won't get too much more in depth in it but we do get the return of alan jepson who's a guy who i've i don't know if you've really enjoyed him a bunch but i've enjoyed him a bunch this year uh uncle muscle um and maybe his new name big the big hurt alan jepson debuts on this show um and it's a cool gimmick it's fun and he's a guy who's like i'm i'm really liking what he's doing at this point in his career so it's a lot of fun. It's a good show, and I recommend people check out the whole show. But even if you don't check out the whole show, definitely check out Zayn versus Makabe, just because they had like top fifty match of the year last year, and then they kind of have their rematch here that I think is a really cool spiritual successor again because it's like 
it's faster for sure it's a shorter match but they do almost tell more story in this than they did last year yeah so yeah i'm definitely gonna go ahead and uh watch watch zane versus makabe like i said, I, I love the match they had last year I thought the Artemis Spencer versus Makabe match was the best Dan match from last year, but I think the Zayn match was right there with it. So I, I'm really excited to watch it. I just did not know the show was going on, but that's on me. I, I, I haven't really been on Twitter that I haven't really been on Twitter that much in the last week, so that please get me by. Um, yeah, definitely. Oh, go ahead. So I guess we have to address the elephant in the room now. We got to talk about Saya Sonata. Oh, really? Yeah, we got to talk about him. Want to save AEW for <laughs> for for non-existence or just like to maybe be in a, like a, a nice palate cleanser after we're done talking about this? Yeah, like like we can run we can run down King yeah. of Pro Wrestling and then end off and end off with some AEW talk. Um if we need it just Yeah. To, just to so we don't kill ourselves. Yeah, if I, as long as I don't feel too terrible <laughs> after this. Uh yeah, dude. Do you want to start? Do you want me? I'll, I'll start. I'll start on it. This is your thing. I I almost feel like I would rather, but whatever you feel. Well, how much of King of Pro Wrestling did you watch? I watched the whole show. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, but I didn't really watch the whole show. I I picked and yeah, choose, but I watched most. Okay, of it. same. All right. Yeah. So. No, go through it. You know what? You go through it, and you can start wherever you like, and you can get into whatever you want. Okay. Um. Personally, I, I started off watching uh, Jushin Liger versus Minoru Suzuki and their their match that they've been building up for the entire year and everything. And I I like it was a really weird match. So let me hesitate on this. I won't say that I like the match necessarily. It was really weird to me. It started off slow. It was sort of like MMA adjacent. For the first for the first few minutes, which I wasn't expecting, but like it wasn't bad. It's like getting to see a maestros match in a Japan in the Japanese setting, which isn't a very common thing nowadays. So I was I was I was all on board with it, but it's just not what I expected. I expected something a little bit more wild and violent and everything. But we got a lot of mat work, a lot of smart transitions and everything, and then that turns into sort of a weird story um it eventually turned that eventually has liger feeling like clearly weak and breaking down and crumbling and he just can't hang anymore versus suzuki in the last few minutes is just liger valiantly trying to fight and suzuki just keeps beating the shit out of him and he just can't he just he just can't do it he doesn't have enough fight or the same fight that he used to and despite being around the same age, Minoru Suzuki was just wearing him wearing him down. And I like finishes like that. I like when the when it's when it's shown there's like there's levels to where guys are at and everything. And I like the finish, I like the idea of it, but it just was really weird for what is gonna be one of Liger's last prominent matches in New Japan that he just gets completely shat on like that. But like that's Liger though. Like that is what Liger has been doing for the better part of ten years now in his career, and even going on longer than that, where Liger is one of the most unselfish guys that we've ever had in pro wrestling. So, him going out there and having this match where, by the end of it, Minoru Suzuki just looks like he absolutely killed him, 
that's par for the course for what Liger's done. And it went relatively long for the spot on the card ad. It was the third it was the fourth match on the card and went and went almost twenty minutes. So yeah, I don't I don't know. It was it was good, but definitely went in a direction I didn't expect. Yeah, and I I I've seen heard people complaining about this being worked more like you talked about Maestro match kind of more regular match style base for it based on like compared to how it was built yeah. it felt more like a death match situation I don't really see any issue with that honestly um loved battle lager here loved the callback to the capo kick when when lager actually hits the capo kick um in this match if you know their their history with their pancreas fight or whatever um so there was like I think that they really put everything in here. When you talk about Liger being unselfish, it's like, yeah, there's no conversation about anyone yeah. that comes close to to Liger when it with that idea. Like a guy who's always presented himself at a lower level than he deserves, and then every now and then you get like the respect level on him, but like he's always understood his space and been very open to selling super well putting people over but like he also keeps his credibility the arm work stuff throughout the match i thought that he did on suzuki was great um so yeah i mean i really enjoyed the match but that's also because like i wasn't super invested in the story line so like maybe that's part of it like the people who had an issue with like the story being built up more as like a death match situation like i didn't I didn't see that story, you know, like I, I wasn't bought into that story. So for me, as someone coming kind of really a little bit from the outside, um, for the expectation between these two and the situation, I thought that they delivered really well. But but if they were trying to deliver on a storyline that I hadn't I wasn't privy to, it sounds like they were not on on like kind of didn't really hit the mark for that. Like I said, it was. And I was aware of the storyline, but like you, I wasn't super invested in it. So as it's going that way, it's like, oh, okay, like that's not what I expected. I expected something a little bit more wild and brawly, not much, not much, not much interference of any interference, if I can recall. So yeah, it just wasn't. It just was not the match I expected. But doesn't mean it was bad. I think it was a good match, but definitely one that completely shifted away from what my expectations were. Next, we have a match that go almost goes 30 minutes. Is Will Ospreay versus El Fantasma for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title? Um, I think it's I think it's definitely worse than their Best of Super Juniors match. I didn't watch their match from Super J Cup yet, and seeing this, like, I don't I don't know, dude. It's I'm watching it, and it, ELP is one of those guys where. He's clearly over. Like, there's no point in any in any conversation about ELP and in the, in this push in New Japan where you can act like it's not working. He's clearly over. He gets reaction. His entrance gets reaction. All that. Play the cards right. ELP can have a pretty good career being a junior guy in New Japan. But right here was sort of seeing where ELP falls short. Is that? He has all the physical gifts to be someone that can go out there and give you these athletic spectacles, but he's not good at anything else. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the striking. He doesn't have anything that's like that looks significantly impactful. He doesn't sell particularly well. 
he can be a shithead. He can be a shithead, cheating, conniving heel, but that's not what he was here in this match either. So right here, we just sort of get ELP and Will Ospreay going out there trying to have a great match, but ELP just isn't a good enough wrestler to sit here and try that with. And that's going to be a thing we talk about in Okada versus Anata too, but it's just so interesting watching a guy like Will Ospreay try so hard to like make a straight up match with EOP compelling and it just doesn't land. Yeah. I mean, the comparison to the main event is really solidly there. I mean, it's two guys as the challengers who are is it, physically yeah, gifted. Physically, like, like, like outrageously gifted. Like you could like make cases yeah. that like EOP and Sonata, like if you just like physically or maybe like, Two like two of like the top five most physically gifted guys on the roster. Yes, but when it comes to, I mean, ELP is actually a solid heel, like a like you're talking about, but a shitty heel who no one likes. He's honestly in the conversation for being one of the best at that. But the problem is he's he's so limitlessly like actually executes at that level, and for the most part, he does this kind of stuff where it's just like I mean fuck you're way worse off when he plays straight up babyface like he's a, a terrible babyface but when he's doing like this mixed up kind of like in between stuff it's where it's when the stuff is like just like really boring and then when he's just like pure heel it he, he works he's one of the few guys who can be like you talk about so physically gifted and such an amazing high flyer but but still be able to be like a real shitty heel that nobody likes. Um, so to then have him in this setting and he's, you really kneecap him by having the first, you know, the setup of the match be a lot of like kind of teasing that he's actually a baby face, which is like, it's so hard to watch. Cause it's like either you commit to the idea that you don't trust it. And then that works, I guess, but then it makes it hard to, really enjoy what's going on because you just assume that you're just waiting yeah you, yeah, you spent you spent you spent like nothing matters because you're spending that time just waiting yeah. for him to just do some heel stuff which like definitely was how i was doing it i was waiting for it and then and then the osprey injury happens and here he goes raking the eyes and raking the back and all that and it's like oh okay i guess yeah. like i guess now the match actually started yeah or if the, the other side of it is is you take it in earnest as him working as a babyface, and he's a shitty, boring babyface. Right. So it's either the beginning part of the match doesn't matter to you because you know that in the end he's just going to turn heel, or the beginning part of the match is boring and sucks because ELP is a bad babyface. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, which which version of this is the positive? And, and, like, neither. They're both bad. You know what the problem is, too? Is like, in this, there's bits that I like. Like, we, talk, yeah. we talked before about how one of my favorite things about Jay White is that he really commits to the fact that he is this shitty heel. He's not the guy that's going to go out there and have like the incredible strike exchange. Like in the Ishii match, we talked about how crazy he was selling for Ishii. And there's the moment in the Kota Ibushi G1 final where it seems like Jay White's going to hulk up and really just go toe to toe with Ibushi. And he slaps Ibushi, Ibushi slaps him once and Jay just crumbles. And whether or not you love Jay as a wrestler, like, that's a guy that really commits to the idea that he is this shitty heel. ELP teases this a little bit. There's this moment where ELP slaps Osprey, 
And then Osprey, who has become a really good striker now, slaps the shit out of ELP, and ELP sells it really well. Like a guy that does a slap and then actually gets slapped. Like this, like the levels are different. There's a chop there. ELP slap, a chop chops Osprey. Osprey chops him, and clearly, like the like the level there is different. But then they sit there and just go straight into a strike exchange, and it's like, oh, you guys missed the fucking point. Like you had it right, right. there. Like. EOP is not on Osprey's level in anything, maybe except flying. So why are we letting EOP go out there and go toe-to-toe with Osprey when the easy story to tell is that if you let Osprey get his hands on him, he's going to he's gonna maul ELP. And instead, you just have these guys go 50-50, and it's like, you just missed the mark there. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that people miss about wrestling in, in a lot of ways. It's styles make fights. Like, it's, it's a cliche as old as time, but what makes a match, what makes a fight, whatever, what makes it interesting is that you're not watching equals. You're not watching two people compete with each other who are, you know, you know, you have the stat levels and you know who's at what level of this, in this attribute, in this attribute. No, you're getting to see the interaction between, like you said, someone who is this amazing, well-rounded wrestler against someone who excels in one place and then also is a shitty heel who's willing to take shortcuts and that's the that's really the story that you're telling and so by just like presenting two guys who are clearly not equals as if they were 100% equals in every way you just completely overlook what makes this work like what makes it interesting is getting to see two different people go against each other like that's the whole fucking point like up, like up. again it's it's why sonata is so fucking boring because like what makes it cool is you get to see a person of someone who's you're invested in who has what their their strong suits you know like to go like make like sort of like an mma comparison here is like if i if i saw like Derek lewis and mark hunt like two like notable like you know slugfest guys are just gonna go out there and just like throw punches and all that like i expect that from those guys like that's like their style and they're going to go out there and just punch the shit out of each other. And I'm going to expect that. And because that's what both of these guys do, that's fine. It's like when you say like the flyer versus flyer matches, like, okay, cool. Like you guys are both going to fly around because you are high flyers. When it gets into the realm of like, well, this person has other stuff they're good at. And then you're going to sit there and try to, you know, do that with them. It does not always going to come across as believable or compelling because you're like, dude, like, now you just come across as stupid and I'm not that guy. Like I'm that guy. I can, I can suspend this belief. I can let things go and all that, but it's just so notable because you acknowledge it in the match. And then you just go ahead and go away from it. Like if Cody Garbrandt decided that he wanted to go out there and have a slug fest with somebody after getting knocked out like three or four straight times in his last, in his last like few fights, then he comes across as an idiot. And I think that's like the thing that's bothering me here is like, don't acknowledge these things in the match if you're just going to turn around and just do these things anyway. Right. And that happened repeatedly throughout this match, unfortunately. With with two guys who who really... I mean, Osprey is in the conversation for Wrestler of the Year. ELP, I think he might end up in my top 50. Probably not. But he'll probably make my top 100 this year just because of like he's had a lot of really quality matches the the tag team stuff with Ishimori is working so you know he's in the he's in the conversation of a, like a top 100 wrestler um but yeah th- so then to have these guys who 
That's like a thing that repeatedly comes up, I think, at least between me and you talking. It's like the, the people who you expect a little bit more from, and then they give you this, which just feels so basic, you know? And just that's like, that's the stuff that becomes the most disappointing things of the year. Um, moving on, the tag that was between this and the U.S. title match didn't, doesn't really matter. I had no strong thoughts on that one. Now we have Fuck the that. U.S. title match between. Uh, Did you skip the uh, the six man that had um, ILJ versus Suzuki Goon before the uh, it was before? Yes, yeah, yeah, I skipped that. You mean uh, was it Shingo and Naito versus Duki and Taichi? Yeah, yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, the the only thing that I would mention about this just to to like kind of say it really quickly was that Shingo and and Duki interactions were very interesting just because of how good Shingo is at making even someone like Duki like actually look like a main event. Talent. Shingo is like, like really Shingo like the best guy to be equipped with like being in a ring with Duki just because like Shingo's Dragon Gate background like right. like it like yeah. it, it works together really well. And now I'm thinking about it, I'm surprised these two, they didn't actually have those guys in the same block. Right. They probably could have, yeah. yeah. Um, Either way. So. Archer Juice. Yeah, so Archer filling in, and Mox had his flight canceled because of the, because of the typhoon, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. in that, the title got vacated, which lets you know that Juice is going to win the title back, and this is probably going to wind up being Mox's last date in New Japan. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. There's still the Wrestle Kingdom shows coming up, so Max might have been on those. Who knows? But if you just look at the context around it and the fact that they decided to strip the belt from him instead of just skip the match, it seemed like Mox losing the belt was already the plan, and that was Mox already being out the door. So we get Archer filling in, and this is a really this is a good match. I liked it. There's there's a lot of dead time. I would say with Archer going going in and setting up the chairs and all that, but for the most part, it doesn't take away from the match or anything, and the crowd is into it. I don't know if it's just me, but is Archer sort of taking the place of all these other sort of like mid-card heavyweight guys as the most over guy for the Japanese audience? And we're about putting Archer in that class of like, you know, guys like Juice and Zack Sabre Jr. Is, is Archer sort of becoming the guy that we thought like Zack Sabre Jr. was going to be? Yeah, it seems like it, and it's not surprising just because he's so big. Well, yeah, it's like the, just like and, the history of Japanese wrestling, like Archer yeah. being so popular, like checks out. Right, and it doesn't seem crazy, and it make it makes sense in a lot of ways. And he, even the way that he set up this match, I thought just if you're watching it, it was perfect, like for to keep him over. The fact that he wants to give the crowd the the no DQ match that they were hoping for, and then you know Juice kind of picks up the mic off the ground and doesn't even stand up and then really look at his face as he accepts the match just felt really you know you know kind of bitch made as as people would say in the past and before that or after that I think people called him cucks you know he was just very kind of like not standing up for himself while Archer felt very dominant and he was the alpha in the situation and then the match itself I mean the match itself kicked ass. I mean, Archer rules. Like, Archer's really good at what he's doing right now. Juice is is really good at facially selling and 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 putting over big time baby or big time like badass heels. And 
selling like a, a huge underdog babyface. So it all worked. Um, I feel like it telegraphs what was the original booking, but at the same time, I wonder how much of it was just kind of the situation. I don't know why they would strip mocks other than they wanted to have the the match on the line and then it does make sense that lance wins because he's the replacement like it, like it so, doesn't matter because the tickets are already sold like 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 you didn't like you could have scra- like completely scrapped the match and the card would have still been just fine right. right so that's what i'm thinking like the either way like the belt was just coming off of moxley yeah that's i mean that's what makes sense but at the same time, like maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see if Mox comes back at all. I don't think it would have made sense for Mox to have won here, really. And then David Finley comes out post match, and and so we'll see where they go with that with those two. Um, Finley versus Archer could be interesting. I think I I've, I've liked Finley at points. I don't know how much I care about him right now. If I'm perfectly honest, but we'll see what he brings uh, moving forward. Yeah, I like I like David Finley, and I like when he's given chances. I really like that Jay White versus David Finley match from last year for the U.S. title. So I'm always interested in seeing him get to do things. But like I said, right now it's really just not you know something I particularly care for. And at least with Jay White versus Finley, there was the whole thing of. Jay White coming in and being a dick to all of his young lion class buddies and all that, so you could run with that. But with Archer and Finley, like I, I don't know, but it'll, it'll it'll probably be good. Yeah, and I do like Finley because he kind of looks like the biggest stunt brother. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, totally. Uh, Ibushi versus Evil. I'll be honest with you, I don't remember a fucking thing about this match. <laughs> did you watch it? Did you be on? Be real honest. Did you even watch this match? I put it on. I, re- I, I realized okay. I was going to skip it because I didn't like the match I had in G1 and evil fucking sucks. So I was like, man, do I even want to watch this match? And I realized like, if I want to do this podcast and like, granted, this thing is not professional at all in any capacity. No, but so I like, said, they're like, man, maybe I should put it on. And even despite the fact that I put it on, I could not tell you a fucking thing about this match. So I'm, I'm going to have to let you take this if you watch this. Yeah. Uh, I watched it. There's nothing going on here. It's very boring. Um, I did hear an interesting talking point that someone made about like how in the current climate with like the top level of New Japan that that Evil's the only true-born New Japan guy who actually trained in New Japan. Um, Comparatively, like with the guy he's facing here in Ibushi, who's a DDT wrestler. Then you've got the main event, which is Okada versus Sonata, which are you know Dragon Gate technically Dragon Gate trained, Toriyamon trained, and uh, you know Keiji Muto Wrestle One guy. All like all, so, all Japan then Wrestle One, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like very interesting that like Evil out of all of these people is the only one who's a. a true New Japan person and it's also like interesting because I like don't really think about it but I guess Evil would be the youngest out of everyone because yeah god how, yeah. how I mean how many want to look at this now how old is Evil yeah 20 30 yeah. 32 mm, he might not and Evil's actually old how did Evil get so old 32 and then so how old is Sonata 31 yeah. so they're about they're about pretty so much the same age okay 
So Evil started wrestling when he was pretty old already, I guess. Um, but yeah, so so just comparatively with that kind of that mix, but there was not much to this match. That was like a, a interesting wrinkle to think about, but it didn't really affect the match. They did the whole thing, and then it was over. Who cares? Quentin, the main event of King of Pro Wrestling. Dude, dude, like go. And I will say, this isn't the worst match these guys had together. The Fair. the New Japan Cup and Dantaku matches were significantly worse, I think. Um, and the G One match was actually great. Like I still stand by that. That was a great match. I think even you would agree that that was a great match. Like, but yeah, man, right here. It just didn't. It just didn't land, and I was thinking maybe Okada could like pull it out again, and this might work. But it just it just didn't happen this time. And this goes back to what I was talking about with the Osprey ELP. Is that these these matches where guys are working so hard in order to like make this other person credible, in order to like make this other person over and get and get the story over and everything and Okada tries his ass off in this match not in the way of bumping or anything but like the personality Okada shows yelling at yelling at Sonata berating him and all that and that's been a constant thing in their matches together is that Okada is the one that's like really pushing Sonata to break through to that next level and constantly berating him in the matches and talking down to Sonata and clowning Sonata during the matches he's really trying to force some emotion and fire out of Sonata and on its, on its face, if we really wanted to examine the Okada and Sonata story, you know how, like, in New Japan, everyone, like, comes up with their own, like, fan fiction of what the story, of what the stories mean and the story that they're telling and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes there's very obvious stories that they're telling. Sometimes it's completely made-up, fan-wank bullshit. But this is a time where, if, like, you really wanted to look at the Okada-Sonata feud... It has more valid points at this being the actual story than a lot of other New Japan stuff. Like, this starts last year with Okada beating Naito when next thing, Okada wants to deal with Sonata. In every Okada promo, he's like trying to goad Sonata into talking or doing or doing something and all that and all that kind of stuff. And Sonata just stays quiet. Doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't do anything, he just stays quiet. And then over the course of the year, we see Okada and Sonata square off a few more times and gradually Sonata is a little bit more angry a little bit more fiery a little bit more passionate Sonata eventually starts talking starts cutting promos all that all that all that good stuff and now here we get with King of Pro Wrestling and Sonata gets close again but it gets to the point where in the post-match they do a callback of the Okada Wrestle Wrestle Kingdom um Wrestle Kingdom 9 walk away to the tunnel camera and camera shot where you see Okada celebrating in the ring and you see Sonata getting carried away and he's in tears. That he couldn't beat Okada again. That this one obstacle in his way, he just couldn't beat Okada again. And on his face, like, wow, that's like really good storytelling. On the other side, Sonata fucking sucks. So it's like all this like goodwill that you're like establishing with this storytelling and this like really layered and interesting story, it just doesn't land for me because Sonata sucks. And clearly, like, what I'm saying doesn't matter because Sonata is over as hell. And Sonata should probably win the G1. And Sonata should be the IWGP champion. 
Like, so clearly what I'm saying doesn't really speak to what New Japan is doing or how the story is working. But for me, as I'm watching this, like, it's like, man, like, there's an actual story here that, like, makes sense and that you could justify and really, like, dig into. But at the end of the day, like, no matter how much I care about that stuff in wrestling and no matter, like, how much that stuff can reel me in most of the time, right here just doesn't work because the in-ring doesn't back it up. And I think that's that's what makes this so disappointing. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying, it's just like, Sonata sucks is the kind of final answer of the whole thing. The, I would say the, the biggest positive for this match is that you can't, like, attack this as a Sonata kind of formula match. Or an Okada formula match, which is like the biggest thing that people say about Okada is just like that it's all the same formula over and over again. It's all the matches that you've seen. Uh, he does the same story, but it wasn't really here because he was doing something completely different as the as really the dominant, you know, competitor of the match. It was Okada playing Tanahashi? Like, yeah. Like if you watch the Okada yeah. Sonata series. You like you see it, it's like this isn't the most like Tanahashi that Okada's ever been. He's very much treating Sonata like Tanahashi was treating him in a lot of their in a lot of their early matches. And like I said, like right. I, it's a good it's a good parallel. It's an interesting story. But the thing about Okada about about Okada Tanahashi is like it eventually like felt like it translated that it took that next step. When you have people that are like prone in usually more in line to like this kind of New Japan stuff with all this heavy storyline and heavy nuance and they're not even going crazy for this stuff, I think that's really damning of how mu- of how that stuff is getting across in the ring. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's... It's... It's definitely a sign of the issues that they're at, but they're like... I mean, they're slowly degradating just like everything. Like... WWE, just like AEW, I guess. I don't know at this point. AEW is still pretty early on, so they might they might still continue to grow. They have been growing repeatedly this whole time. Um, so we'll see. But it's just this is very bad and very annoying for the kind of situation that you're getting, and you're expecting something more, and you just don't get it. Yeah, I think I think that's the most, the most disappointing part of it, and especially when someone is as over as Sonata. And like I said, like when when things like this happen, you want to get it, you want to understand it, you want to be like, you know what, I get it. This makes sense. This like I I understand. This person should get pushed to the moon. With Sonata is just like it's sort of like a fact. You know what I mean? Like. You just have to accept the fact that Sonata is this over and that he is this popular. And there, you might not understand it, and I guarantee that, like, we'll probably never will understand it. But the fact is, Sonata really should be pushed as a tippy-top guy. And that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And it's to the point where if he isn't, I would honestly say that's the wrong decision. I, I think Sonata is, has potential to be the most popular guy in the company. Right. Yeah, no, and it's true. Because imagine someone who's this popular and their matches are bad. Imagine if at some point his matches start to be good. 
Yeah, yeah, man. I don't. I, I, the crowd will love it. Yeah, man. I I don't know, but like I said, this isn't the worst match they had this year. It is behind the G one match as the best match they had, and it's only there because the New Japan Cup and Dontaku matches were completely terrible. And like I said, Okada tried really hard here. I like the structure. I like them going for it right out the gate. I like um, some opening sequences and everything, but that's the thing with Sonata, just the constant mirror matches too. You know, Sonata has to be right there every step with Okada because he's Okada's clone somehow. So he's in, he, they know each other's every move and everything, and you can, you can justify it as, well, they've wrestled each other however many times. Like, bullshit. They were doing that in their first match together. <laughs> like, right. Like so, like you can't, like you can't even do that if you wanted to. It's just, I don't know what to make of them. And I'm not gonna say like Sonata being champion isn't gonna drive me away from New Japan. It's gonna, it's like it's still a great roster with a lot of great wrestlers. Like it's not gonna say and be like, oh man, Sonata champ now. I don't know how I'm gonna deal with it. But it's a thing I'm not looking forward to because I don't think it'll ever really translate for me personally. And I think that's all I got there because like, it's a boring ass match. Right, it's it's definitely boring. I heard people giving praise to um, ELP and Osprey as like possible match of the year contender match. I don't think that I see that at all. Um, I mean, it has like a Archer whole bunch of juice was good. You know, but has a whole bunch of like wild like nutty spots, I guess. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I wouldn't even call it like a top. 20 Osprey match of the year so like right which is yeah yeah I don't know so unless your top 25 for the year is gonna be all Osprey matches maybe yeah maybe if you're if you're just doing like an entire like top 50 comprise of entirely well Osprey matches like sure I could see it sneaking into like number 38 or something yeah alright I think King of, People... King of Pro Wrestling I think wound up being a pretty disappointing show right <laughs> Well, definitely, but that's also because I think that people at this point have built King of Pro Wrestling up as being like a big show for New Japan. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big, it's a, it's in a big venue, but the reality is, like King of Pro Wrestling, it hasn't like mattered in a long time. Right. Well, yeah. Is it hasn't King of Pro Wrestling hasn't mattered at all to like the grand scheme of things and things heading into Wrestle Kingdom since 2014. And that was when you had the AJ Styles versus Hiroshi Tana versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, match for the IWGP title where Tanahashi won, and that le- that's leading into Wrestle Kingdom nine, and that's the last time King of Pro Wrestling actually mattered. And there's been cool stuff on there, like like when I say this, it's not like there hasn't been good matches or great matches on King of Pro Wrestling in the last few years, but when you actually sit here and think about it, it's just the last stop until we get well, not the last stop. You got Power Struggle after and everything, but is the last major stop before we get to Wrestle Kingdom. And I think it's definitely expectations. Like you gotta expectations like you gotta you gotta accept that King of Pro Wrestling up until now and we don't know when it's gonna change just isn't a show that matters. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. It's just people get excited. People were really bought into New Japan, man. Like people really really like New Japan a bunch. I mean, and, I mean like, I, like I still think it's a great company you know like for like for most more often times than not like I still have more New Japan matches on like my match of the year list or like 
on my match of the year tracker than anywhere else. But like that's their thing. Like right. it's like great matches. Yeah. No, definitely. I just, I just don't think that you can like um, deify them or say that they're like a flawless oh. company because they have a lot of for sure nothing for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Quentin. So now we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about uh, grapple picking from Pizza Party Pro Wrestling. You ready to break down this whole show from top, top to, to bottom. bottom? You know, every, four, yeah, every 45, 45 minutes in agonizing yes. detail. No, like uh, we're making a joke, but I, I didn't. I didn't watch the show yet. So probably next episode okay. we'll talk about grapple picking. I definitely recommend people check it out. But yeah, we'll we'll get into it later. Um, AEW. Do you want to talk about AEW at all? I. I liked it. It's a good show. It continues to be the best show. Um, I guess maybe we could talk about NXT before. If we, no, man. Fuck out of here. No, like I will say, like, <laughs> like, like, like I don't want this show. To, I don't want the show to like veer off in the territory where it comes across like we're just like, we're like, oh fuck WWE AEW. Like I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because like again. We're the same. Look, I'm the same person that when AEW was running all these shows and Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen, Double or Nothing, All Out, all that stuff, where I was like, I was like, ah, eh, like I don't really like it. Really like this so far. Like, Dynamite has been genuinely great, genuinely great the last two weeks. Like, Episode Three, Best Best Friends versus SCU, fucking ruled. Like, I thought th- I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Rio Rio yeah. Rio versus Britt Baker. Britt Baker sucks, but like Riho is Rio is fucking amazing. Yeah, like she's really good. Uh, she's probably been the MVP of Dynamite so far. She should be. She should be main eventing the like full gear show. Honestly, she is based on the great. TV. She is yeah. great, and I wish that she had more people to work with. But like, that's a bridge. That's a bridge you cross when you get to it. Jurassic right. Jurassic Express. You know, Luchasaurus got hurt, so. They did Jungle Boy and Marco Stumper. Lucha Brothers, that fucking ruled, and it's probably the best Lucha Bros. It didn't feel like it. It's the best Lucha Bros match I've seen in like a year. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't feel like a downgrade, right? Yeah. It could definitely feel like a downgrade, but it did not. It felt like a really solid, like, this makes sense match. Yeah, and like people were like in this sun. You started the whole fucking Marco Stunt dialogue again, but like, it was a really good match. Like, it was genuinely. Like really impressed by this match, and then Adam Page and Kenny Omega versus Moxley and Pack fucking ruled. Like that's a genuinely great match. Everything about it ruled, and even down to Kenny Omega and Moxley bringing out the broom and baseball yes. bat again, and Pack coming in and being like, "Nah, what the fuck? No, guys, fuck this. Like, I, I want to win the match." And then Moxley being like, "Well, fuck yeah. you," and then le- and then leaving and letting Pack letting Pack get pinned like. All of it, all of it ruled. All of it was great. I liked all of that. And then you can say like Jericho versus Darby Allen, like wasn't great. Well, it's Chris Jericho. Darby bumped his ass off. Jer- Darby got his signature spots in, and I think Darby came out better for it than he did coming in. Like when I talk about AEW, it's not that it's like the most blow away, incredible thing I've ever seen. But I'm not sure I've seen like TV time get maximized so well since like fucking like 2013 WWE and it's that like like it's really that good at like maximizing all the time and like making everything like feel like there's something important going on and it's not reinventing the wheel it still has very similar WWE qualities but the thing that I think is setting AEW apart is that it just feels like 
everything is getting done to its maximum potential and that you're actually making things interesting and you're not trying to be the great match company. Yes, they might attract that audience. It might be the audience that you think on paper that is tuning in to watch AEW, but that's not what they're doing. And I think they're finding a really good middle ground between between having like these really good matches like that all-star tag of Omega and Paige versus Moxley and Pac, but then you're doing stuff and making things interesting for a team like SCU that's been around forever, and you're creating like some sort of like narrative and storyline for those guys. It's it's really effective television, man. And I'm not. I was I was bullish coming in. I'm still kind of bullish. I'm yes. not. I don't even think if full gear. I'm, I'm not even sure if full gear is going to be great. But the last two weeks of Dynamite have been really genuinely awesome. Yeah, I mean this episode was. This is the thing is that every week it keeps this keeps being true, so it feels like contrite to even say it. But like, this is the best episode of the show so far, and you you talked about everything. But even something as stupid, people. So I saw people. I'll say I'll call them out. I I will fucking call them out. BWE podcast host, good friend of the podcast, real dumb idiot Jamesy, was upset about. Pack taking his first loss in on in general on U.S. soil for however fucking long like sixteen months whatever, all that, but like as you watch it, even that was layered in a way that made a bunch of sense, which is that Pack took that pin from Adam Page, and he only lost after John Moxley, his partner, hit him. <laughs> Moxley hit him. Omega hit the V-trigger, Deadeye, bomb, bomb, bomb. But even on top of all of that, Paige gets the pin, and you see Omega in the background, and you can see his face, and there's a slight level of jealousy because he, you could see the way that he had rushed over. He wanted to be the one to get the win, and he wanted to be the one to get the pin. And he let it slide because it was his tagging partner and he wins but he you could see the jealousy on his on omega's face from, on the pin. from four different so parties like, like from four different parties like adam page yeah. has been winless and yes. lost like lost mm-hmm. the title match to chris jericho like he needed a win so he got the win kenny omega has not been able to pick up a win yet it, yes. at, on dynamite and it's a guy that beat kenny omega and you can see how fucking upset he is by the fact that his partner got the pin on the guy that beat him. And Pack, and Pack, yeah. you know, Pack been undefeated for however long. For Big Pack has yes. gone undefeated, or has only had that one loss for however long, and he only eats that pain after John Moxley, his partner, turns on him during the match, and then John Moxley yeah. remains protected because he's like, "Fuck this, I'm out," and leaves the match. Like from all yeah. four parties involved, you successfully did what you were supposed to do in further the yes. narratives for these guys. And I wish that WWE had something like that consistently where, like, you're continuing to, like, further narratives and stories for each guy. And, like, eventually AEW might fall into these same patterns. AEW might have things where just shit doesn't matter at all and, like, nobody's advancing. But for right now, I don't know how you could watch it and, like, not be encouraged. Like, holy shit, like, they're really maximizing every single minute of TV time that they have. Right, and that's the thing, is that I can understand being upset with this on paper because it felt like on a random TV they gave you the first time that, that Pac has taken a, a pinfall on U.S. soil for, you know, the past 32 years or whatever whatever it is. But like, <laughs> so he hasn't been pinned since he's been When you look at the... <laughs> 
Yes. But when you look at the totality of what you actually got coming out of this, it made the most sense for Pac to be the one to take the pin because it made that pin so much more important. If you had just had like Moxley be the one who's and he stayed in the match and then he gets pinned eventually by Kenny Omega to build up to their feud, it's like you're hurting, you're, it's so fucking stereotypical. You're, hurt, you're hurting Moxley now. Matter. You're hurting Moxley now because then you just yeah. gave away Kenny Omega getting a big win over, like on free TV. Now you have something that has an asterisk right. next to it, like, it's, and you and you got a great match right. out of it too. And it's huge, and it's huge. Every part of it is huge, and I think that I can get it if you just think of it as throwaway TV and it doesn't matter. But it was presented as it really fucking mattered. Like it was super important, and what happened here continues to tell a much bigger story. Between it continues to even tell the story about Kenny Omega, like you said, being being a loser. Because he didn't, he wasn't the one who got the pin. And you could see it in his face. So it's just like, you continue to tell a bigger story. It was, if you had just had anything else happen here and you didn't give away the giveaway, in quotation marks, scare quotes here, if you hadn't had Pac be the one to take the pin here, then this match and this finish doesn't matter. But because of Pac taking the finish, taking the pin, it actually makes this a big fucking deal. So, also, like, that's like Pac is a fucking cheating heel. He's a cheating heel. Like when he beat Adam Page on the first week of Dynamite, yeah. yes. he cheated yes. and kicked Very him in the dick. Like, like this isn't yeah. some like no insane monster. He's not Goldberg. And, like he's not this insane undefeated and here's, monster. And here's the thing: yeah. like, I know the context. I watch all of Pac's matches. I know the context. I know that in Dragon Gate he's been super dominant. This isn't Dragon Gate. Everywhere else he has been dominant. But asterisk next next to it. The Will Ospreay match, one of his biggest matches post WWE, has an asterisk next to it. The Zack Sabre Jr. match, one of his biggest matches post WWE, has an asterisk next to it. So I understand. In Dragon Gate, he has been completely he was completely unstoppable up until Ben K beat him at Kobe World. I understand. We can't keep talking about this like this is like when like this is like Ryback losing in like some crazy yeah. like this weird shit. Yeah. Like I don't like it, so that that's it for me. But like I don't like, AEW is good. It, it it has lived up to the hype so Very far, good. as far as like on TV. Do I am I? Do I think it'll get better for the pay per views? I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to I see. I hope so. Because uh, we'll like I said, like you would say the same thing. Like the big shows have been shaky so far. So come November, I'm hoping that Full Gear knocks out of the park. But this first like we're going on we're going on a month of the of the tv next week i don't know how you could look at it and you could say that it hasn't been a success so far yeah no i mean week one of tv i i i I snuck it into the description of the podcast but i thought the winner of the week was uh uh the uncharted territory week two i feel like the winner has been was AEW. week three i think there's no conversation AEW wins again the best match of the week was you know David Starr versus Mercedes Martinez as far as I'm concerned but yeah the winner overall show AEW Page versus Page and Omega we haven't got Page, yeah. Page and Omega versus Moxley and Pack. also like it's not terribly far behind Starr versus Martinez either like it's a really good right. match yeah and then Jericho versus but Darby like, the main I event, like I don't know um yeah, said so Darby. Darby tries his ass off, and they rehash some spots from 
the Ethan from the Ethan Page match in Laboom where Darby was handcuffed and all that. So you got Darby's no hands tope and the springboard off the ropes with no hands and everything. So you get we got to see the greatest hits of Darby, which I think was very smart here. You get Chris Jericho not really giving too much effort in a way of like wrestling or whatever, but you got to see Darby's greatest hits. And I think that is going to go a long way for an audience that is still trying to familiarize themselves with Darby Allen and everything that you see this guy doing things that you've never seen before. So I thought that was smart. Right. Yeah. And Darby feels like a chase guy and it'll be interesting to see when he wins the title. And I, I don't say if I say when, like when, when Darby wins the title at some point to see what happens from there, because, because he's such a, He's such a chase guy, you know? Mm. And then to see him to pull this off with the greatest hits and, and everything he does, like where they go from there. Because when he when he loses when he wins the title and then hopefully loses it relatively quickly because he's such a chase guy, um like it'll be very interesting to see where they go from there. But this match was amazing. Like there's probably an argument to say this is the best match of the weekend or the best match of the week. The best match that we're talking about. Like there is a an argument for that because when it comes to like building, creating money, doing everything, and that's part of the conversation that I think is like, you know, as we finish this out, when when the rest of the inner circle comes out and they got the bubbly, um, to celebrate Jericho winning the title, like, is Jericho the only true drawing star in wrestling I, I i heard people kind of saying that this week and i don't know how crazy that is as a as an idea like is jericho really the biggest like true drawing star in wrestling because it feels like what he does what he brings to the table everything he like he means is honestly makes him the biggest star in wrestling like is there an argument for for against Jericho as like a Flair Fez wrestler, I don't know that there's anybody who comes close when it comes to a mix of like actually producing in ring, drawing power, promos, everything. I don't. He won't be my wrestler of the year, but he might end up being in my conversation. There may be a point where I'm like really debating with myself with making Jericho my number one this year, but like for the Flair Fez concept of like you know Wrestling Observer voting for the wrestler of the year. I don't think there's anyone who comes close to competing with Jericho right now. I feel like there's a strong argument for Cody. I think Cody is extremely okay. I think Cody okay. is extremely over and Jericho might be the face of the company just based off like they just started and they want to have someone that's been around on TV for a long time like be the guy that introduces this product. And Jericho's going to be involved for a long time regardless of like, you know, how like, you know, of how Cody is doing and everything, but I think Cody has a legitimate argument. You know, I'm not sure I can commit to Jericho being that guy yet until we get like more like big like pay-per-view numbers and all that stuff. And we see how like the buy rates for these um for these shows in the in the TV in the TV era that they that they're in now and all that. I I I think right now I'm just more apprehensive to commit to it, but I think if you wanted to make a case for Jericho or Cody, I think there's a valid case for it. Okay. Okay. Like I said, I don't. I I'm with you in that. I think that Cody is very much a big deal. 
and probably one of the most over baby faces or wrestlers in general. But I think that when you can just combine drawing power, promo, in-ring, like, Jericho hasn't disappointed anywhere. Even his match quality, maybe not being the best, not being like the, the, the top wrestler when it comes to in-ring ability, but like, his matches always deliver. Like, they really do. So, it's really tough for me not to put him in this in the conversation as like the top Flair Fez kind of guy. Like I said, I won't. He won't be my wrestler of the year. Um, I could definitely see having him in the conversation. And by the end of the year, I might talk myself into having Jericho as like a top ten wrestler of the year. Honestly, um, I can get where you're coming from because you want some proof on the draw. Is it? Yeah. Is I, it... I definitely understand that. Yeah. No, go. I don't know what you're saying. Go ahead if, if you were. If you had something there. Oh no, because you were you were cutting out really oh, no. bad during like during parts of that. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. Which I I feel like um, maybe it's gonna be yeah gonna be maybe fine when you um when you're on your audio, but you were cutting out, which is why I was trying to, I was trying to figure out where to jump in there. Yes, yes. I apologize. Uh, what? Was it? Was the time on this? Okay, like two oh six. If you if you were gonna go in and look yeah. at it, but um, yeah, no, that, that yeah, but like, but but that, but no, there's a it is a very valid point for sure. Only thing is that for some people, I think they maybe want their Flair Thaz guy to have a little bit more of a in in ring cachet to them too. And Jericho doesn't have that. Like some people really like the uh, Naito. Wrestle King Naito Wrestle Kingdom match, so maybe maybe that, but is it? I, I don't. There's, there isn't a lot of a lot of cachet to Jericho's in ring to really make it worth it for a lot of people. I think, but as as far as what you're saying and everything, like it's very valid. What I would wait for is I want to see pay per view numbers. I want to see pay per view attendance, and really I want to see like, you know, is Jericho the draw or is AEW the draw? Because we don't know. We, we don't really know that yet. So, I want to see maybe some evidence pointing pointing towards that because obviously we're not getting house shows or anything from AEW at this point. So, there might be some time before we can really make that kind of judgment. But those are my only hangups. Yeah, and that's very fair um, as a critique. We'll see because even still with with um, Cody, it was you could still question if that's the promotion name by the drawing or the or the wrestler we'll see but i can definitely see where you're coming from with all of that and we'll eventually i guess maybe get there either way um is there anything else you want to get into before we close it out for the night quentin uh no i think we're good i think we touched on everything we're already running a little bit longer than you than usual i think so i think i think right now yeah. be, i think right now would be a good time good time to sign off for us so go ahead and follow the Twitter account at QNTR. Send in emails at QNTR at gmail.com. I think we're, we're going to have a pretty slow week. King of Pro, King of Pro Wrestling is done. So we don't, we're not going to have too much New Japan to talk about unless we get like some news bits or whatever about the Wrestle Kingdom card or whatever. We didn't even mention like one of Liger's matches that got announced. And it's, some, it's an old guy tag and I'm not remembering every single name that's in it. So 
apologies for not talking about that during today's show. But yeah, so I think next week will probably be a little bit more free flowing and we'll just maybe talk about whatever we watched because there isn't gonna be too much going on outside of like the weekly TV stuff. Some real macaroni. She swore she would do anything for me. That's no 